Hey, if you have your uh, Bibles with you, uh, make your way to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 7 here in a moment. We've been going through a series called Tell Me the Story of Jesus, where we're walking through the Gospels as chronologically as possible. Again, the Gospels aren't meant to be read like a history book that you may have come across in school, but trying to picture the entire get the entire picture of Jesus' ministry, his life, uh, and what it means for us. And right now we're currently in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the final chapter, which is found in chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we're going to be focusing this morning on the believer's prayers as we look at our passage. Um, this last week, uh, just with this passage, I started thinking about stages of toy life my kids have gone through. And if you have kids or, or been a kid at some time, you know that you go through different stages of toys. And what I mean by that, when Ethan was about one or three years old, his favorite thing was a show called The Backyardigans. And uh, you, you can Google this if you want, but he would literally be in another room, and depending on his age, as soon as the theme song and the show came on, he would crawl or run and just plop down in front of the TV and be completely mesmerized by this show. Um, so when we went to the beach for the first time on a family vacation, about a 13-hour drive, and, and Ethan was about three years old, and so we had a whole book of DVDs, and our neighbor let us borrow a portable DVD player. If you don't know what DVDs are, don't worry, they're, they're out there. But anyway, um, so we're driving down the Gulf Shores, and Ethan has all, almost all the episodes he could choose from to watch. 13 hours down, 13 hours back, he chose the same one over and over again. And since he had to have it loud so he could hear it, that's all we got to listen to. So we got to listen to the backyard against pretend to be pirates for 26 hours, which is a dream to be in a car and listen to that all over and again. But he obviously grew out of that stage, which is kind of weird. He's 15 now. So if he's still like, that was still his favorite show, I would, you know, we'd probably have to have a talk. But um, he moved on to superheroes because there's a show out called the Superhero Squad. And so he, and when we went to the store for the first time and he saw the action figures, he just had to have them. He just had to have superheroes so he could play like what they do in the show. And if you're not familiar with Superhero Squad, it's uh, the superheroes like the movies that are coming out. So it's a lot uh, less uh, violent. It's very comical and it's for kids and things like that. So we started collecting all these superheroes and, and uh, he would have these massive battles in his room and and uh, it made Christmas and birthday easy. You know, when they're kids, it's easy because you know what they want, and so you just keep getting them that stuff. And as they get older, you know, there are things that they want to get more expensive. But he came to me one day. He was probably seven or so, and he goes, Dad, I need venom. And I, I said, okay. He said, yeah, I, I got to have venom. And so when we would go to the store, we would look for venom. It was one of these characters in this show. And uh, we could never find him. And, and I thought maybe after a month or so, a little kid, you know, he would just kind of forget about it and move on. But he kept coming and said, Dad, I need venom. Spider-Man has to fight venom. And so I did what all good dads would do. I got on the World Wide Webs. Um, I Googled venom. And I found one you could buy. And then I found out that venom costs as much as 10 superhero squad figures because venom was only released once in very short demand. But here's venom. He lives in our garage in a tub now. Um, but this was, when we got this, when Jamie and I bought this for Ethan, he was overjoyed about having Venom. But of course, he moved on to another stage of Lego. And Abby did the same thing in her life. You know, she was once just captivated with My Little Pony. 
And so anytime we went to the store and you saw, uh, we'd go to the toy aisle, and she would have to go through and make sure there wasn't a My Little Pony she did not have. And so she had My Little Pony vehicles and castles and all these little things running around. Um, I share that about my kids because it really is going to kind of get our minds going and what we're going to be looking about in our passage this morning. Uh, we're going to be again in verse 7 of chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. And even though Jesus has already dealt with the Lord's Prayer previously in these chapters and in this section of Scripture, he now returns back to that subject of prayer and what we're going to look at as the believer's prayers. So let's read the word of the Lord and we'll walk through this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray together before we get into this. Father, again, we come before you, and we are so thankful that you are so good to us. Your mercy and your kindness and your forgiveness that you have just given us as a gift by our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the testimony of these three gentlemen as we started worshiping you today, that you changed lives for eternity and you changed hearts. And Father, in this moment, I pray if anyone here needs to accept you as your Lord and Savior, that they would understand that, that your Spirit would speak to them. So use me as a minister of reconciliation in this moment, that they might be reconciled back to you. But Lord, as we walk through this passage, I pray that your Spirit be our guide that you would open our ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and a heart that is ready to accept your truth, and that your Spirit would do a work in us through your Word that maybe we don't even know we needed working on. Lord, your Word is a double-edged sword. It, it gets to the very depths of who we are. And I thank you, God, that you know exactly who we are and you know exactly what we need in this time. So continue to be glorified. We pray that your kingdom and your will would come in our lives and that you alone would receive the glory today. So let us love you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength as we walk through your word, and let us hear your voice. And praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this passage, can, if you uh, want to make a notation, can also be found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11. Now in Luke's Gospel, what he does, he's led by the Spirit to combine this to the Lord's Prayer. But in between the teaching of the Lord's Prayer and this passage we have this morning... Luke inserts a parable to give us an illustration of the teaching of what Jesus is saying here in the Gospel of Matthew. And here's kind of what the parable does as a paraphrase. So a man has guests arrive, and it's midnight. And so he goes to his friend's house, which may be his neighbor, who knows, but he goes to his friend's house and asks his friend if he can have some bread since his guests have just arrived and he has nothing to give them to eat. Well, since it's late, everyone's already in bed, the, the friend in the house tells his friend to go away. But Jesus adds this little clip in Luke eleven eight. He says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, and that word means persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then that leads into the teaching we have here in the Gospel of Matthew. And so the first understanding we have about the believer's prayers is believers are to be persistent prayers. This not only comes from the Gospel of Luke, but what we read here in the Gospel of Matthew with the three key words in verse 7 and 8. Ask, seek, 
and knock. These words are written in the Greek present tense, which may not mean a whole lot to us when we hear that, but here's what it means. Keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. And so we can, in fact, read these verses like this. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps asking receives, and the one who keeps seeking finds, and the one who keeps knocking, it will be opened. The understanding is when it comes to our prayer life and being persistent, prayer is meant to be a consistent and ongoing thing within our life. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians that we are to pray without ceasing. So what this means in our prayer life is we cannot look at prayers like a coin toss. We've all seen a coin toss where they throw a coin up and you hope it lands on the side you want. That cannot be what prayer is where we throw prayers up and we hope it works out the way we want it to in the end. It doesn't mean that we, we come before God with a grocery list either. We don't recite or repeat prayers to God. He knows what we need, but we are to continue to pray and continue to come before God asking and seeking and knocking. The rebuttal for some might be, well, if God already knows what I need, then why do I need to take this process in my prayer life? Because what prayer is meant to do is meant to help us realize in our heart that we are completely reliant upon God as the provider. He is the giver of every good gift that we have. And so we come to prayer and we pray and lift these up because we need God to do what only he can do in our life and the life of other people. This is, in fact, what the seeking and the asking and the knocking is directed to. We keep asking God. We keep seeking after God. We keep knocking on the throne room of God's floors. We get to our knees in prayer. Well, what should we ask? What do we, what do we seek? What are we knocking for? Well, we do it for our needs. We do it for other people's needs. But we also do it because God tells us to do it, that we come before him, understand that he is the only one with the ability to take care of things in our life and to take care of the things that we need. We ask God to help us be aligned to his word, to his scripture. And we can see this. This, this really came out to me this last week. And just going back to Matthew chapter 5. Okay, this is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. It goes Matthew 5 through chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins by defining what is a blessed life. And if you read through the list, he, list, he really flip-flopped it. It, it, would, it wouldn't make sense in his culture, and it wouldn't make sense in ours. Just look at that list beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. And Jesus tells us that we need to live this sort of life, this blessed life, because we are called to be the salt and the light of the earth. Then jump to verse 17. Jesus begins turning his attention onto the law, where he accurately defines what God meant when he said what he meant. From verse 21 through the end of chapter 5, Jesus reveals that when it comes to the law of God, the commands of God, it's not just surface level, but it's heart issues. It's our heart that needs to be corrected, to be aligned to God's word. And so Jesus says, for example, if you get mad at somebody, anybody get mad this week at somebody? Nobody had road rage this week? All right. If you get mad at somebody, Jesus says that's the same as murdering them in your heart. If you look at an individual lustfully, Jesus says that's the same as committing adultery with them in your heart. 
He says that we need to not retaliate and that we need to look at people that we may consider our enemies or people who are opposed to us and we have to love them. Then we come to chapter 6 where Jesus delivers three positive commands that we are to be giving to the needy, we are to be praying, and we are to fasting. And then he turns to three negative commands. Don't hoard earthly treasures. Don't worry about earthly necessities. Don't judge by an earthly point of view. And if we were to take an honest look just from chapter 5 to where we are this morning, and we take an honest look and we allow that to be the measuring rod it's meant to be, and we're honest with ourselves, we would say, I don't measure up. There's things in there that I fall short on. There's things in there that I don't look like. And so we come to chapter 7 into our verse where Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and all this flows together. We keep asking God to help us live our life the way his word and his commands tell us to live. We keep seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. We keep knocking at the throne room of heaven for the spirit of God to empower us and enable us to live a holy and pleasing life for God. Now, does this mean we can't lift up other things in our prayers? No, that's not what that means at all. What it means, though, is it should change our prayer life. Where our prayer life, sometimes the bulk of my prayer life is about me and what I want or my kids. What Jesus reveals in both teaching of the Lord's Prayer and right here, that prayer is meant to be focused on God. So we may pray for healing. We may pray for a new car or a new uh, house, maybe a new relationship or a relationship to end. Maybe we pray for our kids to get a new attitude. But the sole purpose of those things is to focus on God to bring glory to God. This is why if we're asking, seeking, and knocking for the right things, we might find that our prayers on a particular thing begins to change. We don't pray about certain things that way anymore because what happens in prayer is we come and commune with God into his presence, and through prayer, God begins to transform us, and that means he also is going to transform our prayers. So they're actually praying for God's will to be done. And just so you know, I'm not making this up. Here's what the word of the Lord says in the book of James chapter 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And what are our passions? Well, our passions are fueled by our sinful nature. We're self-centered. We're self-focused. We're self-glorifying. Whereas God's people, as believers, we are to be Christ-centered. We are to be Christ-focused and Christ-glorifying. And this is what our prayers have to align to. This is what it has to be focused on. Coming back to our passage, the second thing we see about the believer's prayers is to believers are to be expectant prayers. The point of the questions, and these are rhetorical questions in verses uh, 9 and 10, is that Jesus is presenting a situation, a situation where a child goes to his parent and asks the parent for bread and fish. And notice Jesus uses two things which be a necessity for the child to have. A necessity for the child to survive. And so the questions are, are to bring up the idea that that would be ridiculous for a father or a parent to receive a request from a child who needs a necessity to survive and the parent not provide that necessity. These verses are not saying if we persistently keep asking God to help us win the lottery, that God's going to do it. 
We see in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said that we are to pray today for our daily bread. This is where Jesus is turning his attention to. Here you have a child with daily necessities who is requesting, asking, and seeking, and knocking to his father. And Jesus brings up this ridiculous statement. Now, in this day, a small loaf of bread would look like rocks that would be found on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In the Sea of Galilee, they're also known to be eel-like snakes, which initially, when you saw them, would appear to be a fish. But for the Jewish people, snakes were unclean animals, whereas fish were clean animals. And the point of the question is, again, it would be ridiculous for a parent to not give their child something they asked for if it was for their welfare. So we think of it like this. We have several parents here. Going on long car trips with kids is a fun experience, is it not? Especially when they're young. Because if you're a parent, then you know this, this, this is truth. Not from God's words, just truth from experience. Kids have a switch that is either all the way on or all the way off. And that switch is when they have to go to the bathroom. Right? Because when a child finally admits, I have to go to the bathroom, it is right then in that moment an emergency. It doesn't matter, we just went through a town, the switch has gone on, we've got to find someplace. Now, it would be ridiculous as a parent to be driving and our child says, I have to go to the bathroom, since we know the switch, and say, suck it up. Right? It'd be ridiculous. No, what we do is we try to find the nearest gas station, even if we would never stop there in the first place, or we find somewhere, if we're in the middle of nowhere, on the side of the road where our child can get some sort of privacy from all the other cars going by so they can go to the restroom. This is the image Jesus is painting with these rhetorical questions. We know of a need, a need from our child as parents. When we know of a need, we will do everything as a parent to fill that need. This last week, Ethan got a stomach bug. And I knew it was happening because Jamie got a hold of me before Ethan did. And, and if Ethan ever calls me while he's at school, it's one or two things. He's either forgotten something he needs for class or he's sick. And so Ethan called me and he told me that he had already been sick several times at school and that he needed to come home. So what do you think my response was? Tough luck, buddy. Suck it up. Throw some dirt on it. Walk it off, right? No. I stopped everything I was doing in that moment, got in the car, drove to school, picked him up, and took him home. See, when we come before our Heavenly Father with our needs, God, who is a perfect God, will supply our needs. Instead of getting a stone or a serpent, which have been deadly, God gives life. This isn't saying that our prayers should be like kids when they come with, with Christmas lists, you know? That's not what this verse is saying, and it can be taken out of context by many people. We come to our Heavenly Father, and we ask Him for life. We ask Him to sustain our life for His glory. Hear what the psalmist said in Psalm 5.3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And that word watch, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The word watch from Psalms actually means to wait expectantly. We lay our needs before God and we wait in expectation on how he will fill those needs, which requires faith. 
Because a lot of times what we want to do is we want to take matters into our own hands if it's not going by our own timeline. But we're to wait expectantly. Hear the word from the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do far more than we can ever think to ask and far greater things than we can even ponder up to dream. That's what that verse is saying. And so we, we don't have to limit our prayers. God says we come before him, lifting up our prayers, letting him know our needs, letting him know our worries, letting him know our battles. So what are some expectant prayers we should be having as believers? First one I would say is salvations. There, I have no doubt there are people in your life who do not know the Lord as their Savior. And what the Bible says, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you're not connected to God. You're not guaranteed heaven. You're lost. You're heading for hell. And so we pray for those people who need to be saved, for the door to open that that conversation can happen. And if you're thinking right now, I don't know if I've got people in my life who aren't saved, then you need to start praying, Lord, bring people into my life who aren't saved. So I can be used by you and lead them to you that they might be saved. We need to ask the Lord to broaden our mission field. We need to come before God and, and lift up our marriages and expect God to do things in our marriages that only he can do. Do you know God wants all marriages to thrive under his authority? He wants the very best for your marriage. Even if you say, I want the very best for, for my marriage. God says, I want even better for your marriage. We need to lift up our kids and our families. God wants all Christian homes to live under his values. Maybe we need to lift up our workplace in expectation that God's going to do something at our workplace. Maybe it's you leading a Bible study, you leading some of your coworkers to Christ. Maybe it's just that God would engulf that place for our students. You need to pray about school. And expect God to do something through you at school. Do you know God has put you on the biggest mission field there is in America? In school? You're to be the light and assault at school. And so pray about your friends at school who don't know Christ. Because here's the reality. Students, wake up for a second. Here's the reality. If your friends don't know Christ, they're not going to heaven. People on your teams, people you care about. If they don't know Jesus, they're not going to heaven. And these aren't prayers, Lord, you know I didn't study last night, but please give me the knowledge I need for this test. Maybe your prayer should be the night before, Lord, as I study, help me retain the information so I'm ready for the test. Pray for your sports. Pray for your activities. You think you're on that team simply because you have an ability or you're in that play because you have an ability or that choir or the band? No. God puts you there for a specific purpose that he might be glorified through you. So maybe you need to pray in expectation, God, help me to live and behave in such a way that you're glorified and that people see you in me. When I first met Jamie, I prayed persistently. I saw her, had to have her. <laughs> but my prayers were ridiculous. God, why doesn't she like me? She won't even talk to me. I don't have a chance. God, change her heart, right? 
But as I kept praying, and this is how I know this works, my prayers began to transform. So I kept coming for God with my sinful outlook. God began to transform my prayers where my prayers eventually became, God, give me a heart that is more focused on you than the pursuit of her. Let my mind be consumed with you more than her. And the reason, that's, that was the turning point because it was in that moment that Jamie actually started to talk to me again. And she started to like me. But I, that had become my prayer because I was never going to be the man I needed to be for her unless God was my focus. Students, adults, you're never going to be the person you need to be unless God is your focus. And to pray expectantly that God will change your heart, that he is your all in all. Final things we see here is believers are to be godly prayers. Look here in verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what Jesus is doing, he's pulling from the two rhetorical questions in the previous verses. He's making an argument from greater or from lesser to greater. And the image he's saying is that if an earthly father provides for his child and yet that father is still evil, that word evil means sinful. And I want you to notice something really important here. Verse 11 says, if you then who are evil. He does not say if we are evil. Jesus is not clumping himself with evil, which means sinful, because Jesus was without sin, hence he was the perfect atoning sacrifice. So he's pointing at us, right? If you who are evil, if you who are sinful, if you who are wrestling with sin know how to handle your children with good things, if you who are sinful know when your child is sick, they need to be loved and nurtured, we know as parents, if our kids are sick, they don't need a greasy burger. They don't need ice cream. Sorry, Papa. They, they, they need chicken noodle soup. They need crackers. They need toast. They need something that's going to be easy on the stomach. They, they may need like Pedialyte or Gatorade. And so we know how to do that. And Jesus says, look, if you know how to do good things for your kids, how much more could a perfect and good heavenly father do for you, his child? He who is without sin. He who has never known sin. And here's the thing that's really going to unlock this passage. Here it is. If you tuned out, tune back in real quick. The word good. You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to you? The word good there, it means advantageous or beneficial from the Greek. <laughs> The argument is, if we who are sinful know how to give advantageous and beneficial things to our children, we rest with sin, yet we know how to do that, then we can rest assured that an all-knowing, all-loving God knows how to give us what is good, beneficial, and advantageous. And this is huge because when our prayers don't get answered the way we think they should or, or, or it doesn't go the way we thought it should have gone, what that means with this verse is the reason our prayers don't get answered the way we think it should is because God knows that whatever we were praying for 
would not have been good, advantageous, advantageous or beneficial to us. It would actually would have hurt us in the long run. I think sometimes we forget God says no. God says no. And he says no because we don't understand the whole picture, yet he does. Every day of our life is written in his book. And so God will say no to his children just like parents. Have you ever said no to your kids? Or Heavenly Father is going to tell us no too. I'll give you an example. First Corinthians chapter 12, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, who was commissioned by God to take the gospel into the known world, he was commissioned by God to write what we call the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul shares of a thorn that is in his flesh. Now what that thorn is, we, we can speculate. Many people think it was Paul was losing his eyesight, which was huge because a, here's a guy who wrote all the time to all the churches and all the people he loved. Here's a guy who, who traveled a lot, and so he had to be able to see. And Paul says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. What is Paul doing in that moment? He's asking. He's seeking. He's knocking. And what does God do? Paul pleads three times, and three times, guess what God says? No. Now, he says it a little gentler than that. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. But it's still a no. Now, I'm sure Paul thought in his head it would be beneficial, it would be good and advantageous if this thorn would be taken from him. But God looked at Paul, and he understood that Paul needed to learn a lesson through the no. Paul needed to learn that, for my power is made perfect in weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul's beneficial, good, advantageous gift from God through the no was to learn that the thorn required him not to trust in his own abilities or his own power, but to fully trust in God. God said no. Moses asked God to go into the promised land. God told him a little more strictly, don't bring this up again. James, John, and their sweet mother came before Jesus, asking Jesus, giving a request, seeking, hey, can we sit on your right and your left in the kingdom of heaven? They bring their sweet mother to Jesus to plea on their behalf. I mean, but Jesus is not afraid to tell mamas no. And he tells them no because you don't understand what you're asking. Here's the point. This passage isn't telling us if we keep persisting and we have the faith of expectation and we keep coming at God with these, this prayer request that we're going to wear God down and he's finally going to say, fine, have it. Because he's too good. He's too loving. This lesson is that we keep asking, we seek, and we knock. But we also have to listen. We have to listen to what God's trying to say. Because he may be telling us no. And when God says no, it's because he loves us too much to give us something which would hurt us in the long run. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be like a permanent no. It just may be a no for your, the period of life that you're in in that moment. But God says no because he loves us. And though the Gospel of Matthew doesn't mention him by word, he's obviously meant to be clumped in here with the Sermon on the Mount and who is the he Listen to the Gospel of Luke's recording of this. If you then who are evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so the focus of the good gifts is the focus on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the empowering of the believer which gives us what we truly need and truly long for. Just hear what the Holy Spirit does. We need the Holy Spirit and we need to be filled with Him on a daily basis because it's only through the Holy Spirit we can have godly wisdom and therefore make godly decisions and have godly words coming out of our mouth. It is the Holy Spirit which guides us and gives us discernment. It's the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit that knows the depths of God. And so therefore it's the only Holy Spirit that can lead us into the depths or deeper things of God. It is the Holy Spirit which gives us access to God and reveals in eternity our spiritual adoption rights as God's children. It is the Holy Spirit which gives us power and boldness and courage to live for God. It is the Holy Spirit which enables us to bear fruit according to who He is and live in those fruits. Now, if we already have the Holy Spirit, why do we pray for a refilling? Because, again, we're evil. We're sinful. And Scripture reveals that because of our evil and sinfulness, we actually quench the Spirit. We mourn the Spirit. We live opposed to the Spirit's leading so our persistent prayer, our expectant prayer and godly prayer is, God, empower us through your Holy Spirit so we might live and practice righteousness rather than unrighteousness. Because that is truly the good gift. Would be life, that we would be life-giving instruments, not death-delivering. Lord, let us be ministers of reconciliation, not stumbling blocks to the weak. And we can pray on all the other things that I know a lot of us do, things we may think we want or things we may think we even need. But all those things, all those prayers have to come under the authority of God and with the purpose of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in and through our life. The beauty of this passage, and we shouldn't miss it, your Heavenly Father wants to give you his child good things. Your heavenly father wants to give you, his child, good things. And he knows what we need the most. And what we need the most is more of God. So we can live more godly. So I would recommend this being our prayers. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Transform and renew my mind through your word. And make me bold for your kingdom. And God wants to give everyone what they need the most. <clears throat> and perhaps this is where some of y'all may need to tune back in if you tuned out. See, God knows what you need the most. It's not a new car. It's not a new house. It's not for a new relationship or a relationship to end or a pay raise or a new job. Those are all earthly things. What you need the most is Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came to this earth, because he was not evil. He was not sinful. He lived a perfect life according to God's word. And then he died for the sins of the world and rose again, that if you don't have Jesus, you can accept Jesus Christ as these three gentlemen did this morning, be completely forgiven for all your sins, past, present, and future. 
Jesus already knows the sins you're going to do two years from now. It hasn't surprised him. He knows that about you. He knows that about us. And so what you need the most is to understand the gospel. The gospel is this. God created you for a relationship with him. But it's your sins that are separating you from a relationship with God. And a lot of times we think, you know, I'll just start doing good things. I'll start being a better person. I'll start being nicer to my neighbor. Or start going to church and read my Bible. Thing is, that's not the way this works. That's worldly religions. This is about a relationship with God, which means I can't do enough good things to please a perfect and holy God. And so the Bible says what I have to do is I have to admit I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ came and paid the price for my sins completely on the cross. And he rose again that I might be completely forgiven for all of my sins. The Bible says if you believe that in your heart, you have to confess it with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you need him and you need God's forgiveness. This is what you need the most. So if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ like these three gentlemen, I'm going to invite you to come down and say, let's just say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. Maybe you're here and you've done that already, but you haven't followed Jesus' example about being baptized, and that's something you need to do. Well, you come down and let me know, hey, I really need to get baptized. I haven't done that. That isn't, that isn't so you, know, you can prove yourself. It's just following Jesus' example. Maybe you're here and you realize your prayers have really been more worldly than godly. Haven't really been focused on God. And maybe like me sometimes, you become like a spoiled little child and wonder why God keeps telling you no. <laughs> and you just need to come before God and say, God, forgive me. Help me to trust you more. We come this time of invitation. I'm going to ask some of our worship team to come back up. I want to pray over us. And if you need to respond, when everybody stands up to sing, I'm going to just invite you to come down the aisle. I'll be standing on one side of this baptistry. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for giving us permission to ask, seek, and knock. Thank you for giving us the mercy that we can come into your throne room of grace. And Lord, you know that we struggle. You know, people in here who are going through battles in this moment. But we know that you're good. We know that you're wise and you're loving. So Lord, begin transforming our prayers that they would seek your will and your glory because we know that you're the God who gives good gifts. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as their, as their God and Jesus as their Savior, I pray your spirit would continue to reveal that to their heart and they wouldn't stay where they are, but they would come down and this would be the day of their salvation. We give you the praise for you alone and worthy of him. Praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.